0: Hi, this is Robert Furl, and welcome to Truth Quest Podcast. This is our Q&A, where we look at questions through the lens of Scripture. Our desire is to know what God's Word says so that we can know what to believe, rightly dividing our the Word of God, where we look at comparing Scripture to Scripture. <laughs> okay, now I got that fixed. Um, uh, comparing Scripture to Scripture, that we might be able to rightly divide the Word of God. If you're new here, we want to welcome you. If you have a question for us, you can put it in the comment section. All you've got to do is put a Q or a question mark or the word question in front of it. Uh, That way, when I look at it, I can tell what are questions and what are just statements. We have our first question preloaded already. And it comes from a previous q and I've boiled these down. There were a lot of nuances to the questions. But as far as the first ones go, I just kind of try to take the, the kind of the heart of what is being asked and answer that question. So the question that we have today is, what is tota scriptura? That's T-O-T-A. It is related to sola scriptura. So in the, the Reformation, there was a point where the the reformed fathers decided that we needed to make a stand on scripture and scripture alone that everything that we believed would come out of the pages of scripture with uh, catholicism today a lot of the other orthodox um, christian groups they not only look at scripture as authority they look at tradition as authority they look at the the person sitting as the pope as having certain kinds of authority that they can come up with things that are not in the bible but that would be spoken by god and this created all kinds of problems throughout history and so when the reformation got together they decided in sola scriptura the bible and the bible alone that's our only authority not past men that have said something that were church leaders not tradition that is passed on, but that which is inspired, that which is scripture, that which we can trust in, is uh, the Bible as it was accepted by the early church in its 66 book form, um, and that's it. Now, tota Scriptura is related to that, to Sola Scriptura, Tota means in its entirety. So, scripture alone, Sola Scriptura, tota in its entirety. That is that we believe that all of God's word is inspired by him and it is all valuable for us to search and to to apply to our lives and remember the way that God gave us his word was through manuscripts so there's comparing and contrasting of manuscripts which is an extremely good way to get to the evidence of what was originally written it's not only used in the bible it's used in all kinds of other things so we want to make sure that we come to that place that we say i believe in god's word and i believe in the totality of god's word that doesn't mean that i might not think that a translation has gotten something wrong but it means that god has inspired his word i think probably one of the most important promises when it comes to god's word is that he will preserve it from generation to generation. That's uh, Psalms 12. Let me go ahead and pull this up for you. It's uh, Psalms 12, I think, verses five and six. Let me see if I can find them here. Um, uh, Six and seven, maybe? Yeah, six and seven. So let me go ahead and put this up on the screen for you so you can see this. Or can you see that? Maybe you can't see that. All right, you know what? I'm just gonna read it to you today because I doesn't look like that is working. All right. So here's what Psalms six and seven says. It says, "The word of the Lord is pure, are pure words like silver tried by a furnace of a furnace, purified seven times. You shall keep them, O Lord. You shall preserve them from generation to from from this generation forever." That is God promised to preserve his word from this generation forever. And that means that this is what we put our trust in. We wanna rightly divide it. Um, We believe that from Genesis to Revelation is the word of God. Doesn't mean that there aren't problem passages within manuscripts, but it means that we take the word of God in its totality. We are not leaving any of it out, all right? So thank you for that question that came from a prior uh, Q&A. Uh, good to see you guys here today. Uh, I hope that you are blessed by the time that you spend here. Uh, we have our first question. Good to see you guys. Um, we are. We have our first question here from Matt Grossman. Matt, good to see you. Uh, Matt comes to us from Facebook, and Matt says, "I asked this a few months back, but didn't know if you had time to research." In Jeremiah 22:30, God curses the line of Jeconiah, and Jeconiah or uh, Sh- uh Shittal is an ancestor of both Mary and Joseph. However, in Matthew 1.12, the genealogy of Joseph, Shittal is listed as the son of Jeconiah, the cursed line. In Luke 3.27, the genealogy of Mary, Shittal is listed as the son of Norai, non-cursed line. Why does Shittal have two listed fathers and if Jeconiah is the rightful father stated in Matthew, how does God's curse hold up regarding the line of Jeconiah? Thank you very much. I'm going to go ahead and close this. I might bring it back in here in a minute because I might want to point a couple of things out with it, but because it's so large, I'm just going to go ahead and close it. So thank you very much for your question, Matt. I appreciate that. So yeah, I did do a little bit of refreshing on that particular problem between Matthew and Luke. Um, first of all, there is something called a Leverite marriage. So a Leverite marriage is where a brother dies and uh, another, one of the other brothers marries his, his widow and raises up chil- a child in his name. And I believe that then the rest of the children are in his own name. And so many suggest that there is a Leverite marriage um, that has been connected to to um, to these two and that's why you get two different fathers that are there it certainly is one way to explain how two different fathers could be mentioned in the lineage of Jesus there's others that believe that the curse of jochiah was lifted because he because of there was a repentance in his life and and again this I haven't really had time to to um to research to see whether or not it's really true. I've learned not to quickly dismiss something. Now, when someone brings up something, sometimes you're just kind of like, oh, you know, you're trying to really, you know, just figure this out any way that you can. But when you start to look at the evidence, you find that there's a little bit more evidence than what you actually thought along those lines. Um, it's also been suggested that this is a different man that is named here, and that's where I wanted to bring it back up. The Shittal is listed uh, as the son of Nir as another one, and um, th- the same way there might be two mics today. I don't know in reading the genealogies th- that I really come to a good confidence that that is a good argument with it, but I do believe that Uh, There is a solution to this and I believe that maybe it is the Leverite marriage or it may be I mean it may be that there is Two two children that have the same name. There's more than one name in other places within it It's just that they're connected at the same point in time So having two different people in the lineage with the same name It's not impossible that that could happen and have different fathers that would go around Jeconiah Um, uh, there, there are some other suggestions that get kind of lengthy, um, but a, a little bit more research on, on my part also and on your part, Matt, and I think that you're going to come up um, with the answers to that. And I think that God's word is true and um, that what God said to Jeconiah and his children is true as well. Although I want to look into the whole idea and concept of whether whether or not um, there is repentance Uh, that takes place there. All right, so um, not as much time as I would like to dive into it, but I did spend a little bit of time kind of refreshing myself on it. All right, so thank you very much, Matt. I appreciate that. Uh, We have another question here from uh, Psychman45. Good to see you, Psychman. Um, Question, if God, if someone says God interprets scripture for them, would this be considered prophecy and subject to judgment? doesn't, uh, don't despise prophecy, judge it. Okay, so the Bible does say not to despise prophecy, but let each one judge it. So hear it and judge it. So when someone comes and says, God told me that's prophecy, now we get to judge it. It's not like we can go back to the scriptures and go, this is what the scriptures are saying. And so therefore I don't have to judge it. So what you're asking is, if I have an interpretation of the lineages of Mary, and um, you have an interpretation of the lineages of Mary, which one of our interpretations are correct? And I think the answer to that is, you know, we we do research and we look at it and we try to make the best decision that we can make on it. Uh, However, if I say, if I wanna trump our argument where we're comparing and contrasting what we found, and I say, I think, that, that God forgave Jeconiah, and therefore the curse wasn't in play. Someone else says, I think there was a Leverite marriage for this reason. Um, another person says that there were two different brothers and, and these brothers are are used this name because it was a title uh, for that family. Um, but so someone might want to trumpet and go, well, God told me it was a Leverite marriage. I was praying about it and God spoke to me and told me it was a Leverite marriage. Now, that makes the rest of the arguments, like all of a sudden it's like, well, okay, God God told you, so um, must be true. And this is not unfortunately uncommon. There are people that try to settle their own interpretations, views of scripture by saying, God told me what it says. Um, and yes, it is open for judgment. I can look at it and determine, I don't think that this is from God. We can judge it. Now, we want to honestly judge it, right? When someone, that's what, that's what not despising prophecy is all about. So, when someone says, God told me to tell you, we, we, um, we want to be able to receive it and not despise that prophecy. Um, there have been a couple of times in my life when someone has given me a prophecy that I have rejected it immediately. I just said, I don't receive it. And I, I will not live under that. One of them was that there was going to be some giant catastrophe that was going to happen to me. And I just said, you know what? Maybe there will be, but I'm not going to live under that weight. I'm not going to receive that from you. Like every corner I turn, some horrible catastrophe is going to happen to me. Plus, with no time frame given to it, of course something bad is going to happen to me. If the Lord doesn't come back and I die, one day people are going to go, this happened to Robert. He had a stroke. He had a heart attack. He got hit by a car. He got cancer. Something's going to happen that's going to be horrible. Um, so my judgment to that was just to be to say to them, no, I, I don't receive it. And I think that we have a strong leeway to be able to look at it, honestly look at it, and then say, I don't believe that that's from God, or I believe that that's from God, or I'm not sure it's from God, but I'm going to accept it as if it is from God, and I'm going to make these changes um, based upon it. So I do think that that's a bad argument, and I do think it would be considered prophecy. Yes, like, man, I do think it would be considered prophecy, and I think it's a bad argument to, to try to settle scripture by saying God told me. I mean, everybody could say that, right? And then the person could say, well, God told me. <laughs> um, me and God, we just always think just alike. If, if ever I believe something, it's because God showed it to me. You know we could say things like that. And those things, as I said, unfortunately do happen and um and they are a drag. Um, but yeah, um don't despise prophecy. when someone comes up and says, the Lord told me um, that you really need to seek him diligently over the next couple of weeks, I, I I need to kind of look at that what, and and with something like that, I would find myself saying, you know what? what is what's it gonna hurt if I seek God more fervently, in the next couple of weeks, so it's not going to hurt me, and so I judge that prophecy and go. I don't know whether or not I'm judging it to be true, but I'm going to do what it said because it's not going to hurt me. So we judge those things that way. But yeah, the God told me argument. Hey, it, it doesn't go a long ways. It shouldn't go a long ways with us. Um, that you know, God revealed it to me. I think that God has spoken in these last days through His Son and through the pages of Scripture. All right. Thank you, Psych Man, I appreciate your question. Um, We also have a question here from uh, Jeff Levine. Jeff, good to see you. Uh, If you are new here, we wanna welcome you. Consider liking, subscribing, sharing, and ringing the bell so you can get all of our new videos, get notices when our videos um, come up. Uh, So this is a question from Jeff. Jeff says, how does free will and Holy Spirit guidance coexist? If we are guided by the Spirit, is it possible to truly have free will? Thanks. Um, thanks, Jeff. I appreciate that. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think that these two could coexist. If you have a free will, and I, I genuinely believe that we do, I, I know there are times that I run into the sovereignty of God. I know there are times that I can't do any, anything else but what God wants done. Like the the day of my death, is one of those, or my rapture to, to you know be to be um, depart from this place. I, I can't change that. I'm it's set in stone unless I move that date earlier by tempting God, right? But it's set in stone. It's appointed once for man to die, and then comes judgment. I have total um, rely. I have to rely totally on the sovereignty of God. But I believe that God is so sovereign that He can give people choices to make. So that God says, I'm going to allow you to be able to make choices. So that if I end up buying a car, which I'm going to buy pretty soon, if I end up buying a car uh, and I buy a copper color one, um, I don't have to believe God made me buy the copper color one. God may say to me, which one do you like? Like the blue? You like the copper? What do you What do you like? Um, go, go ahead and get whatever one you like. I think that that is genuinely the case when it comes to free will. And I also, um, but I also think it's like a bubble and that God gives us a place we can move in and we can make decisions and there are real consequences that are either for the things of God or against God. So like if I walk in the spirit, from the spirit I reap life. I walk in the flesh, from the flesh I reap corruption. Those are Those are within that bubble. But every once in a while, I run into the sovereignty of God. It's like I get too close to the edge and God goes, No, that is not your choice. So there are certain things in my life that I don't have choice over. And we understand that, right? I mean, everybody understands that. Um, There are some things that we're going to go down roads that we don't choose. That happens. But that free will does exist. Now, the question, if the Holy Spirit's guiding me, uh, then does free will still exist? So if um, the Holy Spirit just recognizes in my life that I'm not praying enough and so he begins to convict me and he begins to lead me. He begins to draw me. I begin to find myself thinking, I really want to go for a walk and pray and I really want to make prayer a better part of my life. I want to make sure that I'm not neglecting it because the Bible says I don't have because I don't ask. And so then I do what the Holy Spirit has been guiding me to do That's still my choice. The Holy Spirit isn't making me do it. It's guidance. It's not choosing for me. I can choose to follow the guidance of the Holy Spirit or I can choose to reject the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I think we still have free will. So I don't think that these are, that there's one Holy Spirit guidance or free will and other than that, they can't exist together. I think they both coexist together. And I think that God's sovereignty coexist together as well. And I think that all men have an opportunity. Provisionism, I think, is true that all men have an opportunity to get saved. And so we really do have a free will. The reason that I think we have a free will as opposed to reformed theology, which teaches that God determines everything and that men don't have a free will, is the way the Bible presents itself. It presents to us that we are to choose. Choose you this day who you can serve. It would be kind of mean if it was like God was saying, choose you what, do you, what do you want? You get to choose, choose. And then God says, nope, I really didn't give you a choice. In fact, I I don't think that God would do that. I don't personally believe that God would do that. I think there are times that God obviously intervenes in our lives. I think there's times that he draws. I think there's times he's going to work things out in our lives to make things happen. Um, but I believe that he gives us all free will. That's the only way for us to really be able to say to God that I love you with a choice. That means anything. If I'm forced to love God, then what does that mean? I'm like a robot. I'm having to love Him. But God created a world with a very real choice and consequences that come from not following Him so that we would turn and follow Him. I believe it is a world that's been designed to really help people understand whom God is and what he's all about and uh, that we can live uh, wholeheartedly for him. All right, so thank you very much, uh, Jeff. I appreciate that um, if we are in the guidance of the spirit. Okay, yep, I think I got that answered. Uh, Feel free to ask a follow-up if I didn't answer that to your satisfaction. All right, thank you very much, Jeff. Appreciate it. We have a question here from Jari. Jari says, did Satan know that Jesus was the chosen one until Jesus fulfilled his holy role on the cross did satan think each person was the messiah until Jesus fulfilled or yeah each person was the messiah until Jesus fulfilled the role okay um so i think that satan knew who he was uh, as jesus began to move in his ministry when he when when his boat docked at the the village of the gadareans the demonic the man that had the legion of demons ran to Jesus and said, What do we have you to have to do with us, O son of man, O son of God? So he knew who he was. Other demons did as well, but he commanded them not to speak, that they wouldn't reveal who he was. And I think that Satan knew who he was. But remember, I think Satan is under the same deception that we are under it's sin. So sin is deceptive. And the Bible says that people get caught up in the deceptiveness of sin in the book of Hebrews. And I think that Satan gets deceived. And I think Satan believed that he could raise his throne above the throne of God. And I don't believe that he ever gave that up. I think he fell, but he thinks I'm still going to get there. Um, He's been made an open spectacle at the cross. um, And maybe now that Jesus died on the cross and gained victory, He may have a better understanding that he has lost, although I'm not completely sure. Um, Sometimes we head down a road and we've got certain sin in our lives and we think we don't know what's coming down that road and we think we can handle it. But there are warning signs throughout the scriptures telling us not to go down that road, but we go down that road anyway, thinking that's not going to happen to us because we're under deception. But when God says this is going to be the result of sin, it is the result of it. And so, I think that Satan is deceived by sin. um, It's not like he knows everything that's going to happen. He still believes there is a way that he can win because he's prideful, because he thinks more of himself than he ought to, because he has selfish ambition. He is just seeking uh, to be able to put himself first. Um, And I think that he thought he could defeat Jesus. That's why he tempted him left him for a more opportune time. That's why he came back at, the, the, at the, I think, the cross in the garden because he thought he could get him to deny God, to deny what he was supposed to do. Um, maybe he was trying to get him to go to the cross, not knowing that that was going to be victory, that God, through suffering and pain, was going to bring victory into the world. So um, I do think that he knew that Jesus was, was God, the son of God, God, and that he knew that he was the Messiah. But I think that he is so prideful that he thought he could thwart God's plans. That's exactly what people do today. All kinds of people do it today. You say, well, Satan knows more than most people. Well, yeah, but people, I know people who are not anywhere near as spectacular or smart as Satan or strong as Satan, and they think that they're God and they think they know better than God. And so what makes us think that Satan would not look at himself pride would not cause him to be deceived and believe wrong things about himself and believe that he could finally defeat God. And so I think that's what's happening. Jari, um, as far as Jesus think, as far as Satan thinking other people is the Messiah, I think that he knows now that it is Jesus who is the Messiah. But thank you very much for your question, Jari. I really appreciate it. If you are joining us here for the first time, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, Just write your question down in the comment section. Put a cue or a question in front of it and um, we will take them as um, they come in. We'll either take, we'll go to an hour or we'll take all the questions uh, that are here. We do this every um, Wednesday and Saturday from uh, three to four. By the way, next Saturday is Christmas and we will not be having a um, Quest podcast Q&A under that, all right? So, uh, Jari has a follow-up. Follow-up, it was because I had heard a sermon about it. Satan didn't know what Jesus was God. If Satan knew Christ's plan for redemption, he wouldn't have done the cross. Satan thought he defeated God. All right, yes, thank you, Jari. Um, Yeah, I understand that argument. I do. I understand that there are people that... um, I think the mistake in that particular argument is that they're they're putting Satan up too high, that Satan can't be deceived, that you know, he didn't know that Jesus was the Messiah. If he didn't know then why did he in the beginning of his ministry take him into the spirit, drive him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil and the devil saying, him, if you are the son of God, then do this and take him up to the pinnacle. If you are the son of God, the Bible says, throw yourself off. He won't let you dash your foot against a stone, which is a messianic prophecy. Satan knew that Jesus was the Messiah. And um, like I said, I I, I understand why someone would want to make that argument, but I don't think um, that it's a good argument. All right, thanks, Jari. I appreciate your follow-up question. We have a question here from All Pink. Uh, All Pink says, can Christians have demons even after they are born again? Will God allow the person to get fully delivered from all the demons or will it be a process within their walk with Christ? All right, so first of all, All Pink, um, you cannot be demon-possessed. A Christian cannot. You are already possessed by a spirit. And that is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is inside of you. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. How could a demonic spirit dwell in you? Uh, Someone told me one time, well, there are compartments. And and the Holy Spirit's in one compartment and the demon's in another compartment. Well, that's, that's fine to say that. I wish I had my Bible here. But that's fine to say that. But where in Scripture does it say that? Where does, it, where does it say anything like that? The Bible says, Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Jesus told the disciples when he was sending them out, Behold, I give you power to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing will by any means hurt you. The Bible tells us to put on our full armor and stand against the enemy. Pray and stand against the enemy, which is how we are going to fight and and, and defeat him. Does that mean, all pink, that the devil doesn't want to attack us. Certainly not. There are ways in which the devil attacks us. I think that a lot of deliverance ministries and a lot of Pentecostal churches have put too much of an emphasis on deliverance so that if you have nicotine or you're struggling with alcohol or you've got some other problem in your life, it's because there's some demon that has captured you and you need to have this demon cast out. And there is anecdotal... Anecdotal, anecdotal, yeah, anecdotal evidence where someone goes through a deliverance and their life changes. And so they say they believe it and they say this is is the way it is. However, this deliverance kind of ministry that you find today in the Pentecostal church and in the midst of deliverance ministries is non-biblical. We We don't find it in the pages of scripture. It's just not in the Bible. And that's really our ultimate authority. I'm not saying that either of these groups aren't believers, aren't Christians. I'm just saying, I think they're putting too much of an emphasis on it. Now, having said that, if you cooperate with the devil, the devil can take you out. So the Bible says, give no place to the enemy. The only way the enemy can attack you is if you cooperate with him. Now that can be pretty scary, right? And we know that Paul had a thorn in the flesh from Satan to buffet him. And he prayed for it to be removed, but God said, my grace is sufficient for you. I'm not gonna remove it. My grace is sufficient for you. Uh, We also know that Peter was at, Satan asked to sift Peter like wheat and, and, and Jesus gave him permission. And he told Peter, I've prayed for you. When you're restored, strengthen your brethren. So we know that he was going to go through things. It doesn't mean the enemy can't attack us by shooting fiery darts, by us cooperating with him. But what it does mean is that if you're struggling with lust, if you're struggling with um temptation with with nicotine, it these are all things that start here. We are all we all sin when we it, it's it's born in us when we are enticed. It's us. I would love to be able to say that none of my temptations are me. None of my none of my my sins are me. They're all the enemy. The enemy made me do it. And I think that's why people like this whole concept or this idea is because you could say that the enemy made me do it. Um, so then there are those that will say, well, I don't believe Christians can be possessed, but I believe they can be oppressed. And then they will use uh, possession language or casting out language. So they're making a statement because they know it's hard to defend biblically, but then they go ahead and go back to using um, these kind of 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 statements like, we need to cast a demon out of you. We need to get you in a room, pray for you, talk to you, in the, you until you talk to us in the third person. And there have been many abuses over the years of um, of of this kind of stuff. I'm not saying we don't cast demons out. Um, I'm saying there are people that are looking for demons behind every corner. When you run into them, we'll know it. And it would probably be better if we didn't run into them. But... Um, out of all of the experiences that I've had with people that that act like they're demon-possessed, I don't know that I have one that I could say really is the case. I know other pastors do, but I don't know that I do. And I believe that demons possess people. I do. I just think that Satan's working quite differently today. It's really interesting that we don't have a case in the Old Testament of anybody being, a demon being cast out by anybody. And in the New Testament, we don't have any examples of, of a Christian being possessed in the book of Acts, which is the early church, right? We don't have any examples of that. So you think that if Christians could be possessed or demonized or need to have, um, needed to have you know some kind of Klingon scripture cast out or whatever it is that they're saying, um, then you would think it would be one place in the book of Acts. And then it would be in the epistles. The letters are telling us how we're supposed to live as Christians and what we're supposed to put as authority and what is freedom and all of those things about how we are supposed to live. And doesn't once tell us if a person is struggling with alcohol, take them into a room, cast a demon out of them. There there may be demonic influences, but the main thing that's happening is the person. And I think that people look for a way to try to not have that in their lives. You know, to, I mean, they're looking for a way that they would be able to say, this isn't me. It's the enemy. And I don't think that's the case. I think it's us. And I think that we need to be careful um, when it comes to these deliverance ministries. Um, they're always looking to deliver people. That, people that's um, what they say. And um, I think that we need to just be careful when, when these deliverance ministries are trying to do it. I think a lot of it is built on um experiences hey i learned that if i said i plead the blood 10 times that a demon leaves so i that's what i do i had happened and but we don't ever want to take experiences because the enemy is deceptive and he might be deceiving you instead when the bible says that we overcome him by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony it's because the blood of the lamb has cleansed me from my sins and now i am set free from satan so i don't know that i need to run around pleading the blood over people because I'm trying to get Satan to stop attacking. I also think you could the pendulum could swing the other way to where you can't see Satan's fingerprints anywhere. You just refuse to see how Satan might be involved here. So uh, Jesus told us to pray daily, deliver me from deliver us from the evil one and lead us not into temptation. And I think that that's a prayer that we should pray every day. I'm not saying just, just saying those words, but actually meaning it, asking God to deliver us from temptation and to save us from the evil one. Because I think that the enemy does attack, just not in the way that it's often said in these um, deliverance movements. All right. So um, thank you very much, All Pink, for your question. I really do appreciate that. We have another question from JG. Uh, JG says Do you think the Great Pyramid was built before or after um, the flood in the days of Noah? I personally believe that it was built before. Thanks. Um, it's something, JG, that I've never thought about. I guess you know what, I can't say I've never thought about it. I've certainly thought about it, but I've never thought to try to research it or look into it. And so I would be speaking of something that I don't have any any information on. And there may be somebody who would be better suited to do that. Um, I'm, I'm sure that there are those that would have a better answer to this question. I think, I'm trying to think of what the pyramids date back to just with with um, human dating. Let me just look here real quick. Let me just look up something. Of course, that doesn't work the first time I do it. Let me just see if I can... Sorry. There's a. Um, there's always a temptation to want to fill all the space up with talking when you're looking something up. Um, so I mean, just looking it up, a quick search um, on on shows it to be forty-five hundred years old. Um, when we put the flood at forty-five hundred years ago, maybe more like five thousand, maybe. You know, I mean, I. I I think it's hard for us to tell. I really do. I think it's hard for us to tell. So I'm just gonna have to pass as much as I can, as much as I hate to, JG, pass on that. Um, It's something I would like to look into and uh, see if I feel a little bit stronger about that uh, than I do today. But I really appreciate your question. Well, let's see here. Um, So JG has more, a follow-up on that. Question continued, I believe it was built before and it had something to do with how wicked the world um, had become before the flood and why God made the flood happen. All right. Well, thank you, um, J.G. I, is there a reason that you think that which would be good to know? Um, I, I would like to spend more time really looking at it, but I don't know. Um, and, uh, you know, a lot of things, a lot of things that we might think we want to hold lightly if we don't have any evidence for it. And it might be really interesting but I don't know that it changes anything when it comes to our walk with Christ or living for Him. All right, so thank you, JG. I really appreciate that. We have another question from uh, Sharon. Sharon says, Who do you think is the woman riding the beast? Rome or Jerusalem? So, um, the woman riding the beast. Um trying to think of where that is at. Um All right, I'm not sure where it's at. I wish I could I wish I could look at it. I mean, I know it's in Revelation, but I'm not sure where in in Revelation it's at. Um maybe we can you can we can look that up and someone else can put that in there and I can pull it up and take a look at it because I'd like to look at it a, a little bit closer. Um I do not believe and I think it's Gosh, I wish I could look at it now. Um, Let's, um, if someone can write down the passage on this or Sharon, if you would re-write out question and then write in the passage from it, take a moment to look it up. I still have some time here. I'll be able to um, get back to your question and I'll look for it as a last question. But give me the passage and let's go to it and read it. Um, I don't believe it's the Catholic Church and there are reasons that people have said that it is. I don't believe that. Um, But give it to me. I think it's somewhere around ah 14 or 15 if you could look it up and and, and see or if somebody can give it to me uh, then i really would appreciate that all right so thank you very much sorry i didn't quite get to that um we have a question from uh psychman again psychman says um, i think it was david to whom god said if you want wanted more i'd have given it to you i would have given you more and what advice um what would advise someone who, perhaps foolishly asked for and received more? Yeah, Psych um, like, Man, it's um, it's where David sins with Bathsheba and he's given him all of the things that he's given him. And he says to David, I if you, all you had to do was ask and I would have given you more. And I think it's such a strong point for us You know, there's a passage in the New Testament, James chapter 1, that talks about what sin does in our lives, where sin comes from. And it says, each of us sin when we are enticed, and when it is full grown, it brings forth death. There's more involved in that passage than just that. But the very next verse in James says, every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. When we are tempted we think that's what i need that's what i need to be satisfied and fulfilled when in reality that's going to bring you destruction it's going to bring you deception it's going to bring some kind of devastation into your life but every good and perfect gift comes down from the father of lights everything that i need comes down from him and had david realized that that god would have given him much more and and i think maybe we don't realize how much God would give us as well. And that David thought he needed that experience with Bathsheba, but he didn't. He could have said no to it. He could have pushed it away. And God says, I would have given you much more. And I think that there were consequences in his life. Um, When you're studying the life of David, his life really never is the same. After the, um, I just realized I got one of my lights off here um, hey, that looks better. Um, but, um, his life would have been much better had he never done that. And, um, and I love this from God. And I wonder, And I, I, I think that there's a way in which God could say that to any of us. I would have done so much more for you. Had you just asked, are, are we, are we asking him? And what more could God do if we did it? And what we, could we avoid if we go, you know what, God says don't do that. And even though I want it in my flesh, I don't want it. Even though I'm tempted, I don't want it because every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of Lights. Everything you need comes from God. And that's something that David, at the moment that he that he sinned with Bathsheba, didn't realize. That every good and perfect gift comes from Father of Lights. And this is not from him. I might see it as a gift, but it's not. And my flesh wants it, but, but there will be consequences and destruction that will come to pass. So I absolutely, Psych Man, love that passage. I, I love what that passage says. I think there's so much that it, it can speak to us about the way we're living today and reevaluating our lives and asking ourselves if we really believe that. All right, so thank you very much, Psych Man, for that question. I really appreciate it uh so um we have a question from um who knew who knew we have a question from new who knew all right so let's go ahead and bring this in question is it okay not to continually think what Satan is doing etc does etc we um we know he exists yet we choose to give all power to God and to Christ Jesus giving so much power and thought, leaves people open. All right, who knew? Um, Thank you. And uh, thank you for joining us uh, for our Q&A. I believe that there's a balance. You can look for a demon behind every rock and you can ignore that there's any demonic influence at all. So the balance that we want is the biblical balance. So the Bible tells us, put on your armor that you might be able to stand against the enemy because we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and spiritual hosts of wickedness. And so if we ignored that, we would be ignoring the scriptures. Instead, we confidently put on our armor and we could, we could cover what each step of the armor is, but we, we confidently put on the armor and then we stand and pray. We pray and stand and then we don't have to worry. Uh, we don't give place to the enemy. So you, you ask yourself, if I'm doing this, like when David sinned with Bathsheba, he gave place to the enemy in his life, and the enemy likes to bring in destruction. He Like he is the tempter, and then he's the accuser. He After he tempts us and we give in, he's the accuser that comes in after it. So we want a real balance. Um, the uh, I think it's 1 John 5 says that if anyone's in Christ, the evil one cannot touch him. It says you don't sin and the evil one can't touch him. The you don't sin is practicing sin we are no longer living for sin and the evil one can't touch us so we have this real strong confidence that we have in christ um that i am given power over satan and but i also want to have enough respect for that spiritual world and that the demonic realm that's out there to know that i could be deceived and that satan wants to take me out and i have to trust in jesus that he's not going to be able to that jesus is going to protect me and so i do think that there's a balance um who knew all right so i i don't think it's good to continually think of what satan is doing but be aware of it enough that you are doing the things that you have to do uh, within scripture all right so thank you very much for your question i appreciate that um let's see we let's see if we have another question here we have a question from laz um all right so laz has been a while good to see you um laz says what is the true meaning of christmas pastor robert furrow i get confused what's the true um, meaning of christmas is in the bible can you help me with this question um thanks laz uh, i appreciate that um yeah i mean the bible never talks about the celebration of the birth of Jesus. It gives us the Christmas stories. It certainly celebrates it, but it never tells us to do it on a certain day. So if you want to talk about Christmas in the Bible, like we've got a service in two hours and 15 minutes. Um, The title of the message tonight is Christmas in the Old Testament. Um, When I say that, I of course mean the birth of Jesus. And so to us, that's what Christmas means. Uh, There's a comparison out there in the world that since the Bible doesn't talk, or there there is this idea out there that says the Bible doesn't talk about Christmas, then Christmas must be Saturnalia, which is the Roman holiday that took place at the winter solstice. And Christmas is near the winter solstice. It's not on the winter solstice, but it's near the winter solstice. And so people say that those 10 days of Saturnalia, but once you begin to compare it, When you compare and contrast and really go and look at what Saturnalia is, it's not what Christmas is today. Even when you talk about Tammuz trees being cut down and brought in, those were totem poles. They weren't Christmas trees, which probably goes back to the tradition with Martin Luther. I think how we celebrate Christmas is a matter of our own choice. It's, It's Romans 16. You get to decide how you do this. But the meaning of Christmas? would be the birth of the savior it'd be the incarnation it would be jesus coming into this world and all of those passages that speak of these things are christmas passages um and some there's some that are unlikely like um a second uh, philippians chapter 2 verses 5 through 11 which i'll be covering in our wednesday night study this week um, is that he laid aside his glory and he became lower than the angels and he became a man. He lowered himself and he became a man. That's a Christmas passage. That helps tie into the meaning of Christmas. Um, I do think there are wrong ways to celebrate it, right? Because people go out and whatever uh, for Christmas thats not um, that doesn't give glory to God. But other than that, I don't think that um, there's not a celebration for Christmas in the Bible that I can answer what the real meaning of Christmas would be. Um, It's something that someone could choose to celebrate often or someone doesn't have to celebrate it at all. They could go, you know what, I don't wanna celebrate it. And I have known people who would do that. Um, So Daniel, good to see you, by the way. And so Daniel says the woman riding the beast is in Revelation 17. Uh, So let me just go ahead and take a look here and see if we can read. I don't wanna read the whole chapter, but we might be able just to take a look at it. Oh, I don't know why I'm trying to bring, well, I'm reading it up in here so I can see it and read it. I don't think it's still working. Unplug it and plug it in here and see if it's working up here. Ah, there we go, we did get it. All right, so um, this is um, the Scarlet Woman and the Scarlet Beast. Then one of the seven angels who had seven bowls came and talked with me saying, come and I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters of whom the king of the earth commits fornication and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk on the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit and into the wilderness. I saw the woman standing in the scar, sitting on the scarlet beast, which was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and 10 horns. The woman was arrayed in purple, scarlet, and adorned with gold and precious stones and, and pearls. Having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the f- uh, filthiness of fornication, and on her head was the name that was written: Mystery Babylon the Great, the Mother of Harlots, and the Abomination of the Earth. And I saw the woman drink with the blood, of, drunk with the blood of the saints with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus, and when I saw her I marvelled with amazement. Alright, um, the meaning of the woman of the beast, um but the angel said to me, um, why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast uh that carries her, which has the seven heads and the ten horns, uh the beast that you saw was at um oops and that come from the bottomless pit. Um let's see if we can um Dwell on the earth. Here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are the seven mountains, and the woman who sits there also the seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, and the other has yet to come. And when he comes, he must continue for a short time. Then the beast that was not. All right. So, okay. Thank you, Daniel, for that information here. And I'll I'll kind of give you what I think is going on there. Um, Again, you know, you're answering questions off the top of your head. Sometimes you're really familiar with a text because you 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 read it recently. I haven't read this in a while, and I haven't considered it. But it's a mystery, right? So it's a mystery Babylon. So and and the the harlot has some mystery to it as well. Um, but I do believe that this is false religion, and. I, the reason they say there are that it could be Rome or Jerusalem is because there's seven hills, and it talks about seven hills here. Rome is built on seven hills. Jerusalem is built on seven hills. So they think it could be one or the other. I think um, it may be Rome, and it may, or it may be. I don't think it's the Roman Catholic Church, but I think it could be Rome or it could be Jerusalem. I think these both could be a center of where people believe. And um, I think that this woman has some other connotations to it as well. So I don't want to say too much, just because I don't want to get it wrong. All right. Um, huh. All right. So I'm gonna I'm bringing in another question here from Who um, Hunu. Who Says, how do you respond to people who attend church, Bible studies, etc., who think they know? all about God and yet they openly talk bad about other people. So here's unfortunately, you know, what's new. Um, there are believers still do things that are not wrong, that are wrong, they still do sin. They are being sanctified. And so if you are in a church or a Bible study and people start openly talking bad about people, it might be good just to point it out just to say you know try to find a way to be respectful and respectful to leadership but to say something like i'm not really sure it's good that we would be talking about this person this feels to me like it could be gossip you kind of find a respectful way um, to challenge it if you end up in a church and a bible study that won't stop talking about people that won't stop gossiping that won't stop talking about people then it might be time to leave that church you might there are there are times to go and i don't think that should be taken lightly and i don't think it should be done quickly but there are times to go i need to go find another fellowship because this is not healthy but i would in a very respectful way approach them find a way to be able to say i don't think um that we should be talking about this person now without them here or, um, you know, a lot of times when we're gossiping, we, we we say, we started off with, don't don't tell them. Don't tell who I'm telling you. And I always think that's a mistake. And I always try not to let people put me under that restriction. When someone says to me, listen, want, I'm going to tell you what so-and-so said about you, but you can't tell them. I will respond with, then, then please don't tell me. I don't want to know. It doesn't help me any. If I If someone says something bad about me and I can't go to them and say, why did you say it? because you don't want me to know, then why do I need to know that information? It's just information I don't need to know. We think we wanna know everything. Well, I don't wanna know. I don't wanna put myself, because later on if I find out what was said, I can go to them and talk to them. But if I promise them I'm not gonna to talk to them, now I'm under that vow that I took, which I don't wanna take a vow to put myself under those things. So thanks, um, what's new. I hope that helps. Um, find a respectful way to go and talk with them all right, um, and I see Sharon talking about Dave Hunt, thinking um, that the the uh, the woman that rides the beast is the Catholic Church. Um, yeah, Dave Hunt has been how long has it been he, he's he's deceased a while ago, um, and it was a popular teaching in the late seventies and the early eighties that the woman on riding the beast was the Catholic Church, and I think that. This has been suitably refuted today, um, even though I will tell you that I need to go and do a little bit more research on it and and be able to really dive into who I think um, that that woman is. Um, and I like Dave Hunt, by the way. Um, I've had, had him at the church, had him share at the church. I really like him. But that doesn't mean that we have to believe everything um, that they believe, all right? So, um, thank you very much. Um, And uh, let's see, we'll get to um, another question here. Um, We have a question from Light Skin Patriot, which says, um, why do you think a lot of Christians strongly focus on the love of God and his mercy, but tend to minimize the wrath and the justice? Um, Thanks. Uh, I, um, I think that this whole thing has been flipped. I think there was a time um, D.L. Moody in his early ministry talked about judgment and the wrath of God, um, the very famous uh, sermon, sinners in the hands of an angry God, fall back on that. And that someone challenged D.L. Moody during his ministry to focus on the love of God and, or, or have you ever thought about covering the love of God? And D.L. Moody got to the place where he thought it was a balance. That the love of God needs to be emphasized because the Bible tells us that God, why we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Why we were still sinners. And God, and they demonstrated his love for us. And that God so loves the world. So there's, there's a, a way in which God loves every person that is in the world. But the Bible teaches that every person that doesn't know, that hasn't been born again, is under his wrath and is going to be judged. And so part of this um, would be studying the Word of God in its entirety, covering the Word of God in its entirety, and being able to make sure that you don't overemphasize the love of God or or the, the judgment of God, the wrath of God, but that you use a balance of what the Bible has to say, and I think that to a lot of degrees, um, that just depends on what is. Um, a lot of times, it just depends on um, where you're at in the Scriptures and what kind of things um, that you want to that you want to emphasize. All right, so thank you very much. I appreciate that. Um, So let me go ahead and see if I've got um, another question that's here. Uh, All right. Um, So let me go ahead and take a look at a question that I've got prepared uh, for today. Um, We talked about Toda Scriptura in the beginning, which is instead of Sola Scriptura, which is that I believe in Scripture alone, I don't take anything else as an authority. Toda Scriptura is that. I take all of God's word. Not I don't. I don't cut out certain parts of God's word. So we have another question from another Q and A that talked about the deity of Christ. Is the deity of Christ biblical? And uh, if I remember this question right, they were asking about friends that didn't believe in the deity, maybe even a cult that didn't believe in the deity, and so they were wondering whether or not the Bible genuinely supported it and i'm going to give you a quick answer on this because we only have a few minutes um, but very much so the bible supports it jesus said before abraham was i am Uh, in the burning bush the angel of the lord said that yahweh's name was i am that i am jesus said i am when they came to arrest him and they fell down on the ground um in hebrews chapter one god calls him god in Revelation chapter one, in the vision of Jesus, Jesus says, I am he who was alive, died, am alive forevermore, the first and the last, the Alpha, the Omega, the Almighty. So, He, Jesus himself claims to be the Almighty. Had someone say to me one time, you didn't say Almighty God, do you have to? When you say you're the Almighty, What? what's the confusion? Where is the Almighty other than that? John chapter one, in the beginning was the verse one. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. Uh, John 1:14. and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld the glory of the only begotten of the father. And so um, uh, Colossians, all things, were. Uh, he is the express image. Jesus is the express image of the invisible God. And all things were created by him, for him, and through him. John chapter 1 says everything was created by Jesus and without him, there's nothing that was made. So we know that Jesus isn't the first one made and then Jesus made everything else because Jesus was not made. He wasn't created. And without Jesus creating it, there's nothing uh, that was created at all. Um, Thomas, when he saw the scars in the hands and the side of Jesus, fell down on the ground and said, my Lord and my God. There are a couple of passages in the Bible that talk about our great God and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Where he's directly called God, our great God and Savior. As I said in Hebrews chapter one, God calls him God. And it talks about Jesus being superior to the angels. Uh, There are many other passages that deal with the deity of Jesus. The deity of Jesus is extremely biblical. Um, When he was standing before Caiaphas, Caiaphas said, are you the son of God? They knew the son of God was a reference to deity. And Jesus said, it's as you say. But from here on out, you will see the son of man coming on the clouds of glory. And in Daniel seven, the son of man comes on the clouds, which is just the word for a human. A human comes on the clouds, joins the father. This is the Old Testament, Daniel chapter seven, and is given dominion and power and glory in a kingdom. Jesus said to Caiaphas from here on out you will see the son of man coming on the clouds of glory given dominion power and a kingdom he was claiming to be the son of man that joins the ancient of days and sets on the throne the old testament also has a lot of complexity in it the angel of the lord who speaks as an angel of the lord but also speaks of God as God the genesis 1 Uh, 25 and 26. Let us create man in our own image. Let us go down and see what man has done um, in Genesis chapter 11. Uh, So there's so much that you can just really point to as being uh, the divinity of Christ. All right. So um, thank you very much for your questions today. Uh, Really have enjoyed spending some time with you. I hope that you guys are blessed for the rest of your day. Uh, We have a service in two hours. We'd love to have you join us. It'll be live at our East and West campus, six o'clock and 715. You can look up the times at calverttucson.com. Um, and also, um, if you want to join us online, then you can join us, YouTube, Facebook, uh, Calvertuson.com. You'll be able to watch online and interact um, with pastors that are there um, during that time, all right? So just kind of taking a look here to see. I see there are other questions here that we did not get uh, into. Um, I'll take a look at those and see if I can add them for first questions uh, later on for the Q&A. So I'm going to sign out. God bless you guys. Stay close to Jesus. Um, Let's seek after him. Put on our armor. Pray that we would be delivered from the evil one. Um, Stay balanced in the aspect of Christ being our savior and our protector and us not giving place to the enemy. All right. God bless you guys. I'm out. We'll see you later on.